When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wiz and Cricket Weekly podcast. We're two days away from the Ranchi test. Ben Stokes is back bowling and Jasprit Boomer is out. How much of a chance do England have of forcing a decider? We'll be previewing that test, catching up with everything else from the world game over the last week or so. And we'll also hear from Cricket West Indies chief exec, Johnny Grave, about a massive month for the men in Maroon. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today are Phil Walker and Ben Gardner. Um, let's start with England. Ben Stokes is back bowling at the time of recording. He's not been confirmed as being able to bowl in the fourth test, but the journals out there are saying that he's been bowling 100% today for um, a few long spells. Ben, you think that with Stokes being available to bowl, they might just play an extra spinner? Uh, yeah, and from what they're saying about the pitch, that would also seem sensible. And, and I think Bumrah not being there, feeds into that if there were a time when you might think okay normally Boomer is your, is your point of difference now he's not there so you need your spinners to be your point of difference so kind of maximize how different they can be I can guess I guess Ollie Pope described it as almost having like a like being two pitches kind of joined together in the middle so half lengthways with one half having like loads of plated cracks he called them and he said they're wetting it so it gets even drier and the other half actually being so how does, so how does that good. work so how does wetting it to make it dry well work? I guess it's a bit like when you moisturize your face you're not supposed to just um put water on there because uh it's, it's like if you put that on then the heat dries it away and that evaporates maybe brings a bit more out I guess um I mean I, I, I trust Ollie Pope I think he's a you've pulled that theory out your ass really oh, no, impressively so- <laughs> there that's really good <laughs> um so uh so yeah and and the the, the those plated cracks it's the, the cracked side is on the bit that is uh outside the right hander's off stump so quite useful for an off spinner of which uh india have have quite a good one and england have one in bashir as well so that's another reason to bring him in i suppose so yeah stokes stokes if stokes can bowl a few overs and that lessons you need for a second seamer also the pitch mm. is likely to turn more given Burma's absence and given what they have said about the pitch and they were pretty happy to play three spinners for the first two tests as well so i reckon that would be the way mm. they go um, Phil, how would you balance um, a side on a, on a two-faced pitch that is dry, but they're wetting it to make it more dry? <laughs> it seems like a big gamble to expect Stokes to bowl a f- more than a few overs. Uh, but then they started the series with one seamer anyway. And so if what we gather about this pitch is true, as Ben says, then perhaps they will just go in just with the one seamer. If they do go in with the one seamer, the question is who should that seamer be? Mark Wood's done pretty well overall. But he's, and he's bowled 60-something overs, which isn't an enormous amount of work. Missed, obviously, that second test match. Uh, but Durham Sala comes quick after this one. And Durham Sala up in the north, uh, higher altitude, ball zips through. It's the best pitch to bowl, best conditions to bowl in if you're a seamer. So perhaps they will hold Wood back. That would probably be the way that I would go. The other thing is Anderson got through a lot of work in the last test match for very little reward. Uh, to play three back-to-back. I know they had a week off, but three back-to-back and potentially then nobble him energy-wise for the fifth test. So I can see Ollie Robinson coming in here. I can see Ollie Robinson coming in, doing a kind of a a sort of a a workhorse job, uh, not going for that many, doing an anderson light job, really. Um, You can't see him doing a wood and bowling, running through the top order on the first day necessarily, but you can see him offering a degree of control. If he's fit, and he should be, uh, then perhaps he can do that kind of mopping up job, um, holding an end down as best as possible, which then that frees up England's spinners. Because what you saw in the last test match was that they had no control. And this wasn't a reflection on their quality, more a reflection on their experience and the reality of coming up against probably the best young cricketer mm. in the world. Um, and there's some other pretty good ones as well. So I think I would go with Robinson. Um 
only Stokes knows how, how much he can get through realistically. It, it would be very Stokesian to go out with the new ball, wouldn't mm. it, on Friday morning, win the toss. Well, win well, the toss probably, and bat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm having a bowl. Win the toss and bowl. <laughs> to be honest, that would be quite Stokesian. That well. would be Stokesian, yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, I can see them going in with one and a half, half seamers then and, mm. and, and playing and playing Bashir in there as well. Yeah, I suppose the other thing with, with, with Robinson, <laughs> um, we talked about his skill set being quite similar to Anderson, but on pitches where there, there has been some inconsistent bounce, he's the tallest of any bowler across the two sides and it is likely to be the, the seamer to get the most out of that if that's on offer. Um, he's got he's got a point to prove as well, right? Like, um, you know, It's interesting how far he's fallen down mm, the pegging order. Yeah, and as much as, you know, when, when we speak to him, he's, he's pretty genial and happy to sort of be in amongst the group and, you know, they play people based on conditions. He'll be sitting there thinking like, you know, I've got, you know, 70 wickets at 20 odd in test cricket uh, and yet, you know, the last time I played, I had to limp off with a, with a back spasm and there are these questions over my fitness and questions over that I can do it in these conditions and I'm you know I'm not I'm not yet first choice uh maybe if there was a three but when there's a two he'd want to be that guy mm. and he wants to be the guy that shows he can lead the attack in all conditions when we do finally enter the the post Anderson era so he will come in with with quite a lot to uh to sort of fire him up from that point of view as well so yeah if, it, if it, he does play it'll be interesting to see how he goes it, it's a really good point because um he was only given a one-year essential contract um several uh, less experienced seamers were given two-year central contracts. Mm -hmm. and I suppose some of those play other formats as well. But also, I was just thinking ahead to what will the England bowling attack look like for the first test of the summer? And in theory, the guys, the incumbents are, are all really old, right? Anderson, Wood and Wokes. We, everyone's forgotten about Wokes because he's not here. But he was, you know, player of the series last time England played he's at home. He's having a lovely time at home. He's having a great time. He's having a great series, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but also, you know... It, attention after this series will start to look ahead to that Ashes tour that's less than two years away um, and it's not exactly clear who will be in that seam attack and also you've got Matt Potts knocking on the door from the outside who just had an exceptional England Lions tour Sam Cook continues to average under 20 so it's, it's pretty competitive you've still got Josh Tuggan to come back so it is a really big if Robinson does get a go it's a, it's a huge moment for him there's no reason why he can't return to the form that we saw in Pakistan in particular in that winter, but the summer before that as well. Uh, I thought he, he was given more criticism than he deserved over the ashes. Personally, I thought there was a lot of noise around him, obviously, because he put his foot in it and gave Kawaja that graceless send off. But I thought he did fine at Lords um, and was just getting into his work at Headingley. And then they was, the series was done. That was mm. that. Um, the, the Pakistan model is a good one because if you if he is going to play this upcoming test match, because while it's well known and you often say it rightly that there's huge differences in terms of the pitches, nonetheless, they are both dry mm. and they are good, generally good to bat on for the first couple of days. In Pakistan, they're good to bat on for five days. But he found some life from those pitches in Pakistan and famously cleaned up Baba Azam twice in the same test match. No one's ever done that before. And to break his defences twice with cutters, breakbacks, there's not much in the air, but there is stuff off the pitch. And he's a very, very skillful manipulator of a cricket ball in conditions that help him, but also those that mm. don't. Um, what he did against Australia in that Lord's game, I thought was was a good model as well for what Stokes might be looking for in this test match in that he, he wasn't especially incisive, but... He bowled a 13-over spell on day three or four, whatever, day three, I think, that afternoon, and was hard to hit, hard to get away. And because he is accurate, you can rely on him. Mm -hmm. um, just as Anderson has done that job in certain conditions for many, many years, so Robinson can come in. He doesn't quite have the same shimmer and class as Anderson, as we know, but he can offer a similar kind of role. And so I think there's some logic to him. The, the murmurs are that he might be in line to mm, play this one. Yeah, it, look, it, looks, it looks that way. Um, just looking at the venue, Ranchi, so like the previous two venues, it's only hosted two tests before. The numbers are actually quite similar to Vizag and Rajkot in that India have scored massive totals and the opposition have often been bundled out for not many. So I'm not <laughs> sure what it really says other than India have been better. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like from what the England players are saying at the moment that uh, it's probably more similar to the Hyderabad pitch that we saw in the first test match than what we've seen in the last two. That said, Ben, I, I was thinking after the last test, you know, Ben Stokes said something I don't think we covered on the pod. He said that on the day that England collapsed, so day three, um, that he wanted at the start of the day for England to be bowling 
by the end of the day. And the pitch didn't end up breaking up in the way that he would have predicted when he had that thought. And it occurred to me that there have been a few times this winter going back to the World Cup where England have got conditions just massively wrong in India. Less so in the Test Series, sure. But I think they have um, they've definitely prepared for pitches that have turned more than, th- than they actually have. Um, and I think that has played a part in um, their struggles in the last two tests. Yeah, um, and this even goes back to when they picked the squad. You know, we said it was a squad that was picked with a degree of inflexibility over how they could sort of balance the the eleven, even if it gave a lot of options to the attack with, you know, fewer rounders in there and kind of neglecting the, the, the idea there could be a pitch like we had in, in Pakistan that was sort of flatter and that where you want, you know, lots of bowling options and, and, and that sort of thing. Mm. Um and I guess it, there's also a certain element where there's it's, it almost feels like there's like a slight clash in the messaging there. Where if you're telling your batters that we want to be batting again tonight, how does that fit into the you know go out and play with like sort of complete freedom and, and take on a situation as as you see it? That's it's not really freedom, exactly. Is it? Yeah. That, that's that, that's a team instruction, and and it is, and especially I mean, look, who, who, who am I to question Ben Stokes? But you wonder if that if actually that was where you just said like just go out and bat really, really, really long because you know. They are down a bowler. They've got another bowler on a, a dodgy hamstring. Uh, and and, let, and let's see what happens if they have to, you know, do a long, long stint in the dirt and they went a different mm. way. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right as well about the about the conditions. But it's from, from from what they're saying about this pitch, I think it would be quite hard to misjudge it possibly. But yeah, mm. I don't know. Um, Phil, Neil asks something that I haven't seen brought up Is yet. Is this Neil McDonald? It is Neil McDonald. Yeah, he's good. He's he, he is good. good. Yeah. He is good. Prolific um, as well. The top three are doing well. The next three less so. The top three weren't in the World Cup. The next three were. Is there a carryover? Uh, possibly. Possibly. Um, it's it's more generally it's flipped predictions that the expectation was that England's top three may may get found out a little bit. Uh, get boomerad out, um, and especially Crawley didn't have a great reputation against the turning ball, um, and Pope didn't have any kind of record against India. It's been flipped on its head. Uh, uh, Root, Bearstow, Stokes. Stokes has played okay in parts, but Root and Bearstow have uh, blown out so far. Um, is there a pattern? Oh, it's hard to say, and each individual is different, but certainly. This is a recurring theme in cricket that, especially as a batter, there's a point at which you can't keep digging deep all the time. And, it's, and when, you, when you feel like, when the rhythm is out, then the, the energy levels drain as well and, and you get into a point of a kind of a sense of inertia. It happens more, I think, with players who only play white ball cricket. And there's a... There's a f- kind of familiarity of it that breeds contempt. If you are just, if you're an opening bat in 20 over cricket and you're just playing, traveling, traveling, playing, playing, traveling, and it's the same old stuff and your job is simply to smash hell out of it for 20 odd balls. And if you get to 40, your job's done. There's a kind of wearying similarity or sameness to, to that. And, and you've seen it with certain certain players. I got that sense with, J- with Jason Roy. Um, brilliant player on his day, but his days were becoming so predictable that it was hard to really get yourself going because it was just the same old stuff and you get jaded after a while. I I can't think that there is a legit case here, but it's possible that residually the misery of that World Cup and the travelling element of it as well could perhaps be dragging them down a little bit. Certainly somebody like Bairstow, who would have gone into that World Cup, hit a six in the first over and since then hasn't really found any kind of form, had had a... an iffy World Cup, as we know, he he he's the kind of player who thrives on a bit of support and a bit and an arm around the shoulder. It's been a long stretch now where he hasn't got any runs, and Joe is the same. Joe Joe had a poor World Cup as well, so it's 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 possible that residually, psychologically, there is some kind of hangover. It's a good point by by Big Neil. You know, he's rare, he's rarely off off kilter. We have no idea what Neil looks like. Um, I can imagine <laughs> sort of Adonis six six. The, the, bowls, bats, runs up the hill and then gets the beers in. The, the other thing, I guess, is that these are the three who have more memories of kind of bad times in India. I know the previous tour in India was bad, but I, I mean, this is getting quite pop psychology, but I wonder if it was so different in terms of Us? how the whole tour was. Surely not. Uh, that um, 
that it's been slightly easier to wipe out because this is just a different experience touring India this time. Whereas, you know, those three, they played, what, two tests between that 2012 tour and then they had the whole of that 2016 tour. I know Duckett was on that one as well, but it wasn't in 2021. I just wonder if there's a little bit more of the, of kind of a here we go again nature or of a kind of like a, that actually it could be those three that have built up the conditions more than the top three who okay, had that one tour, but are also more kind of children of, McCullum and Stokes than no I think I think it's a fair point and I think it's related to the conditions point as well in that I think this England team is at its best when it's reacting to what's in front of them and actually quite a lot of this tour they are not reacting to what's in front of them they they have these preconceived Mm. ideas of what's going to happen and aren't necessarily reacting to the the particular situation the the, the best news that say Joe Root has had all week is that Bumrah's not playing in this test so we had a question on this so Niall asked it's hard to understand the mindset of elite sports stars, but do you think the absence of Bumrah will give Root in particular a boost? He'll never admit it, but but what do you think? Well, yeah, it has to. It has to. If you have a player who looms large uh, and who clearly, statistically, uh, has the wood over you, then his absence is going to give you a bit of pep in your step. Has to. Why wouldn't it? Um, obviously, as as your boy quite rightly says, uh, it's not the kind of thing that you admit, but in your in your your quieter moments, you're relieved that, you, that he's not on that team sheet. He also does loom large for Durham Sala. So, you know, this you feel like England's England series is on the line here. And just going back very briefly to the selection policy, I don't think you can hedge your bets too much. If they feel that when they look at the pitch the morning out, that there is a bit in it for the seamers potentially, then you have to play your best seam attack as well, I think, because, you know, you can't just preempt what might be happening in a week hence. You, you could know, be, this, you this could is be three one right down. Here. You know, it's, it's, this is the series. Eng- right England, here. England have made that mistake before, down under two years. Yeah, ago, right. Yeah, where Mark Woods rested for two nil. You know, he, I mean, he, he looms large psychologically, Bumrah, but also just looms large because he is a bowler who just has Root's number a bit, right? Like Root, Root is more likely to get a big score because there is a bowler that he struggles against, not in the side this time, and also be boosted by the fact if Ben Stokes is bowling and they do end up going with three spinners, that'll be less workload mm. on him with with the ball as well, which was a very fair point that Butch raised on the last pod. So, you know, I wouldn't be, I mean, obviously I wouldn't be surprised if Root goes out and made a bit mm. sore. Maybe there's a, some smart money to be had there. I don't know. How much um, of a difference do you think it makes now that Boomer's out? India still favourites, but that gap is much smaller. Uh, yeah, it's tricky because that I don't, is the gap smaller than it would have been before the last test, considering the size of the victory in that last test? Probably still still is smaller that India that, that that margin has come in slightly um and I guess also there's the thing that yes a they might go for a spinning track because they think okay we can just pick the one seamer in Siraj we know that if we go with Mukesh Kumar he's not going to do much in in any sort of conditions that might be the feeling after how he's gone this series um but that spinning track could bring England more into the game I mean the, the one they game game they've won this series has been on the pitch that's turned the most and that is where the the philosophy should sort of have the biggest impact because the the challenge on those pitches is mental. It's about putting aside the ones that spin past your outside edge and that you could never get near out of your head and being able to then reverse sweep the next one because it's there to be hit. And that is something that how they play allows them to do more than, you know, any England side we've seen previously, really. So actually a, a, a pitch, obviously they're a result pitch, the pitch they're even more favoured towards the bowlers. Actually, that brings England's batters more into it in a weird way because... Mm. They might be less likely to make a big total, but they're more likely to make a fighting total. Um, so that aspect as well. I still, it's, if in if in India have to go with the one seamer, I guess they have to go with with a pitch that helps the spinners mm. a lot. Um, I still think it's the right call to play Akshar as the as the extra bowler to come in for Bumrah rather than Mukesh Kumar. But it is a so Mukesh is the only other seamer in this uh, Akash squad. Deep as well actually who was in the okay. last squad ahead of Mukesh maybe he'd okay, be, right. he, maybe he's jumped mm. ahead of him in the pecking order but Mukesh Kumar took 10 for in the Ranji Trophy between those two times so and mm. also maybe we shouldn't be writing off a guy like Mukesh who when I saw him in South Africa albeit on a pitch where they played the shortest test match there's ever been he looked he looked, <laughs> he looked quite handy so mm. you know he's, he's got where he is for a reason and he hasn't been given a huge amount, a huge chance in the series, let alone, you know, given even though he's wasn't hugely impressive in those limited chances, if he gets a bit of a spell under his belt, mm. that's what he could do. Um, Phil, we had a few questions on England's tendency to name an 11 24 hours out. Why do you think they do that? Uh, or do, do, you, do you like it? I, I don't see the point at all. Mm. 
I think especially when you're playing away from home and pitches can change complexion quite quite at the last, mm. I don't really see what benefit there is aside from it being, you know, a kind of element of kidology. Uh, it's, it's, it's in keeping, isn't it, right? You know, balls to the floor. This is who we are. We don't care who you are. We're, we only care about ourselves. Mm. Uh, with the lords and saviors of the future, um, I don't quite understand it, but you know, it's 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 small beer. It's small beer yeah. in 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 the end, and and India don't really need to concern themselves too much with whether whether England play two spit two seamers or one or yeah. three spinners or two. Um, Betisto, is there a question mark for you? Either of you two? Uh, no, I mean, well, there's a question mark, but no, I no, would, sure. But do you? I do would, you, I would answer you, the question by saying Besto should play, play him still. I yes, think, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd play him. You know, he, he looked good a couple of tests ago. Um, he is the sort of player who you know has it in him to completely change a test match very quickly. Um, it's not as if you've got a guy outside the side who scored lots of runs in these conditions. Um, Dan Lawrence hasn't played any Red Bull cricket for quite a long time. Um, and it's almost just, it's such a, you know, it's almost a discussion not worth having because I just, I think the chance of England doing it is so low. Mm. Um, you know, they, they, they've only dropped one batter in the two years that they've been in charge. So mm. I, I can't see them doing, I can't see them stranding best on, on 98 or 99 test caps, however he goes. Mm. Um, Cook, in the Cook, test. Cook was dropping him after, really? after that test match. Um, shrouded or rather clouded in that classic ex-pros line of to protect him. Mm. He's, he's taking him out the firing line to protect him. You're dropping him. Let's just call it as it is. Yeah. Atherton went the other way, of course. I think the prevailing mood is that, that you go the other way. Uh, McCullum was quite clear, I think, in his chat building up to the game that, you know, he's he remains the sort of the archetype of what they're trying to do. And his record since they began is good. And, and his record is good since, since they began. His record post the injury is less good. Um, there was a question on Twitter that I saw this morning, um, rather sort of salty. But if he does get to 100 tests, uh, is he perhaps in the lowest rung of players who have, who have managed to get 100 test matches? With, 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 with the caveat that to get to 100 tests, you have you to go, be... You've got to be good. You've you got to be good. got to be good, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we discussed this in the office and I guess the conversation would involve Carl Hooper, I guess, who was a, a servant for West Indian cricket, but has not a not an exceptional record. I think you, you could probably... It's a very, it. very similar test record. Mm. Obviously, Hooper bowled. But then best but best kept. kept. Yeah. But it, with the bat, it's almost identical. Number of hundreds, number of fifties. Really? Average, yeah. It, 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 I think Hooper averaged 36 points, something. He was too good. That was much. his problem. He was too good. We he, wondered he, he, he couldn't live with how good he yeah. was, so, so he uh, just whacked it up in the we, air. We, we, we spoke a lot about this during the last Test match, so I wondered, um, again, this sounds harsh, but to be in this conversation, you must be a bloody good player. Of course. But, but basically, uh, has anyone ha had as many crap series as Bairstow? Um, Because he's obviously a very streaky player. And if you do it on a metric of number of series where you've averaged under 25 with a bat, he is right up there. But number one that we found was actually a, a, a great in Hashi Mamla, um, really? who, who had a very difficult start to his career and had a difficult end to his career from memory. But yeah, Amla, despite averaging what high forties, I think um, had maybe sixteen or seventeen sub twenty five series across his his career. Mm. Best, I think, is fourteen, and that's including a couple of one off appearances. Yeah, it's, it's, it, on the eleven thing. It's the benefit of it, not that it gives a player like Bestow just clarity a day out from a test match, two days out if he's in that squad. and they. But but you can announce it in the dressing room. Yeah, but you? then you're still not, if you announce it to the media as well, then what the player isn't doing is seeing on their phone speculation about if they should be dropped the night before when the 11 is. But they'll right not already there. know that they're in because uh, they've been told. Yeah, but you're still reading the negativity. You're still scrolling your phone, seeing people saying, if you're in the team and you're seeing people saying he shouldn't be, do, do you not? Is, is, and do but, you but, but the negativity is going to swirl around and in fact, it might even swirl around more if you announce the team 24 hours early and you're in it and a lot of people think, well, you shouldn't be. Possibly. I'm then you're going to be reading, there's going to be all the more pressure, right? I'm, I'm just trying to pause the thinking and I wonder mm. if, if, if that might actually have more of a, an aid that, that they, they feel yeah. than, than we think. I don't the, know. the other thing on Bairstow's career that I was looking up, so uh, half of his test hundreds came in that eight test streak um, in, in, in 2022, mm. Um, mm. 
which you know you can you can use that stat either way. You know that, that's someone who hasn't scored a lot of test hundreds in in ninety two tests, mm-hmm. um, but when he when he's good, there are very few. I mean, the, the two really good streaks he had are, are, the, are streaks that are almost unrivaled. You know, in twenty sixteen, um, he scored more runs as, as a wicketkeeper bat than anyone in the history of the game. Mm. And that little run in 2022 is, again, right up there with anything even Bradman did. Yeah. So, And, and, and if you just split his career into uh, years which are divisible by six, which is 2016 <laughs> and 2022, uh, it's a vast difference to the rest. So just wait until 2028 and he's going to be mm. a god. <laughs> Tosser. <laughs> uh, K.O. Rahul is still out. So Rajat Patidar is set to continue in the middle order for India. Um, there were some comments from Ben Stokes in the aftermath of the test about DRS that caught people's attention well done to a friend of the pod cam ponsonby on Talksport for getting these comments out of stokes um so he first said that he had a conversation with the match referee jeff crow who explained that in the fourth inning zach crawley's marginal lbw um decision was the correct decision but the image shown on hawkeye and ball tracker was wrong it sort of looked like ball tracker had it missing but it was still given out um Pushed on his thoughts on DRS in general, Stokes said, my personal opinion is that if the ball's hitting the stumps, the ball's hitting the stumps. They should take away umpire's call, if I'm being perfectly honest, but I don't want to get too much into it because it will sound like we're moaning and that's why we've lost. Before we talk about umpire's call, Ben, how does the, because I I don't think I know this, how does it actually work, the, the ball tracker for DRS on LBWs. Well, okay. So for, from a very basic point, and this is, is this is an oversimplification, but they basically you can identify the the bounce point, and you can identify the impact point on the pad, and with that and a few other measurements, you can get the velocity of the ball as it bounces, and that's basically all you need to calculate the projected path of the ball. That's just a physics formula mm. because uh, you have the the formula for the path of a projectile given that you know gravitational pull is always the same you can just you can just do that now there'll be a bit more in that where they can maybe if the ball moves a bit after pitching perhaps or uh um and that sort of thing but yeah so so for example to clear up one misconception people sometimes say well what if a pitch is bouncing variably how can drs handle that but each time it sort of calculates the bounce so it doesn't matter if it bounces you know lows one ball and scuffs on the floor the next ball because it just calculates the bounce it just takes it from the the bounce point and then just measures the path from that and that's how it does it um yeah and then why is there umpire's call because there's a viral video of nasa Hussain explaining that it's to do with the margin of error and the fact that these are potentially flawed projections you don't think that explanation is is actually 100 percent accurate no and just to touch on stokes it's confusing that if stokes is worried about the actually the technology he wants to do away with umpire's call that's that that's confusing to me but anyway uh the margin of error this is what Hawke was saying the margin of error is is tiny which is certainly much less than the the half stump half ball width that drs currently accounts for and actually if you think about how drs works that you can kind of infer that from some of the protocols so uh if umpires call with f margin of error you wouldn't need it for pitching and for impact on the pads because those are things you calculate not that you project um the margin of error is the same depending on how far there is between point of impact uh, bounce point and the stumps which it wouldn't be you'd think you need more margin of error if someone was hit you know not right in front of the stumps and a bit further down and most crucially i think is that if a ball is projected to just miss the stumps that is still not umpire's call which it should be because if it's about margin of error and it's just missed the stumps then maybe that's just hitting who knows but that's not how it works in DRS. So that tells you it's not about margin of error and actually this is back in 2015 paul hawkins who's the inventor of hawkeye he put the margin of error at about five millimeters which is what half a fingernail or so um so is there a case to be made then that having 51 or 49 percent of the ball and therefore that dictating the final decision do you think that that margin of error is too large well no like i'm perfectly fine with umpire's call but i think the technology is a lot more accurate than say the nasa sane uh explanation gives it credit for uh but i think you need umpire's call as it is, because otherwise the game would just be sure. ridiculous, right? But but could you reduce the margin of error and to then, a smaller percentage? And then have so that that would in effect make the stumps bigger, right? Which would just mean more LBWs, which I don't think the game needs. Essentially, I think that the balance is about right between 
bat ball the number of lbws you get essentially so, so why is there umpires call if the margin of error is that small so so, so i think that I th- basically in as far as i can tell it's to um it's because you're it's there for the howler right that's the that was the original uh reason for bringing in drs is that you didn't want the uh you know the ridiculous ones where it's pitch miles outside leg to uh to to stay to stay out and uh and this is the way that it does that and i think that you know I think we can say that decisions that are reasonable but not howlers, I think that's actually mm. quite, that's nice and fine that those stay mm. with the umpire. So there's a, it's a philosophical call almost about what they want technology to do. It's it's to get rid of very obvious mistakes, not to overturn decisions that are on, are on the margins, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing to do, it's not really to do with the margin of error. No, and especially that, that five millimeter figure, that was back from 2015. Hawkeye would say that has got a lot more accurate since then you do still see the odd error but those are error errors not margin of error errors if that makes sense as in they've they've put the spot where the ball pitches wrong or something yeah yeah cool it's good to clear that up um also this week i I found this quite interesting it was reported that um bcci secretary jay shah has written to players in india underlining the sanctity of domestic cricket um he wrote that there is a trend that has emerged and it is a cause for concern. Some players have begun prioritising the IPL over domestic cr- cricket, a shift that that was not anticipated. Domestic cricket has <laughs> always... <laughs> <not> anticipate that? <laughs> this, this, this guy's in charge of all cricket. Uh, domestic cricket has always been the foundation upon which Indian cricket stands and it has never been undervalued in our vision for the sport. He's basically said you can't have the glamour of the IPL without the grind of the Ranji Trophy. Um... And I think we, we often, when we talk about the power of Indian cricket, we sort of forget that it's concentrated in the administrators. Like the players are actually not that powerful. Mm. Um, like if you're an Indian player who's a very good white ball player, um, but doesn't play for India, you, you've got very, you don't have any options to play white ball cricket around the world. Like you know, someone who's, I don't know, like a, a Pakistani player like Usama Mir, who's not always in the, mm. in the squad. He can play everywhere. Unless you want to gig in the fifty over one day cup in August over here. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but but and also does it suggest that the, the next power battle within world cricket, now that the BCI are by far the most powerful board, is actually gonna be within India, the BCI perhaps versus the IPL team owners, whether at some point they want to mm. wrest control of that league from the BCI and think that we're the ones who, you know, have built this league up. We want to be the ones who are reaping the rewards that that could be something that, that we see further down yeah, the road, well, I think possibly and, and also just seeing a player who's outside the international reckoning actually break away from the BCCI and Indian cricket at a relatively young age mm. that's not happened yet and I guess the, the, the dream is that you can earn so much money by being a big name IPL player and as long as you've got that in front of you it makes it a very hard thing to reject but you know there are so many opportunities elsewhere in the world now yeah and, and, and it's worth pointing out that for all it's natural, I guess, and inevitable to speak out the side of one's mouth a little bit about the power that India has, the preeminence of the IPL and how it dominates the landscape. Nonetheless, they play a hell of a lot of test cricket around the world. And you mentioned that Johnny Graves' interview with Dan Gallon is going to feature a little bit later on. I don't know if you'll follow if the extract will feature this bit, but one of the things he says in the magazine piece, which goes alongside this interview, is, is we can't ask any more of... India's touring team they can of course ask more of the ICC regarding how the the money is distributed and you can definitely ask the question regarding whether the the host team and whether the the visiting team can 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 share that money a little bit more fairly because the West Indies in particular get disproportionately hit by that but in terms of the number of test matches that India play the commitment that they give boots on the ground to multi-day cricket mm. that can't be argued against 100 percent, they, they are the most prolific touring team yeah. um out yeah. there you know in the, in the last couple of years they, they've, ba- they've basically gone anywhere in the last two years um you know just just looking now they've gone to bangladesh the caribbean um island zimbabwe you know the, the big three get lumped together in this regard but actually india are by far the best of the big three are actually traveling everywhere um, so they definitely deserve credit for that. Um, elsewhere in the international game this week, New Zealand won the second test of their series against South Africa, though it was much closer than the first. New Zealand was set 267 to win in the fourth innings and a third hundred of the series from Kane Williamson ensured that the Black Caps won that by seven wickets. Eighth in 10 games. It is it is mad. Averaging 86. It is, it is completely mad. So 
um, I think Ben referenced some of Williams' stats in the last pod. Um, so just to go over those again. So since the start of the pandemic, 18 tests. He has 1,100 and 150. And Ben, what was that 50? That was 51 out to win the World Test Championship final. So. so in that time, he averages 78. At home in that period, he averages 117 with <laughs> 900s from nine matches. Overall, bigger picture, he's on 32 test hundreds. That's three more than Coley from 15 fewer test matches. It's two more than Root from 40 fewer tests. He's now 11th on the all-time list. His career average stands at 55.9, which is higher than Callis. Of the guys to play more than 25 tests since the war, only Barrington, Weeks, Sobers, Sangakara, Hutton, Walcott and Smith average more. Um, It's a run to rival Smith's peak, I'd say, but if you're being especially harsh, um, but I don't think it's valid to point this out. He's only got 100 from seven tests against India and England in that time, and he's not played Australia yet. So it'll be fascinating to see how he goes in this um, run of form against Australia in a series that starts very, very soon. And and Smith's run as well included two completely absurd overseas series in India and in England. And I don't, the closest I think you could find for, for Cameron, and again, this is harsh because he doesn't get to play the same amount of long series, but I guess the series win in the UAE when no one had won there for for absolutely ages and he was brilliant in that series that's the closest you could come but those were still those aren't super bowler friendly conditions that are testing your technique those were hard to win in for for several reasons but batters were making runs there so that that is something as well but but yeah i mean and then he's gonna play a lot more tests this year right yeah, yeah so he'll play a lot in the next year or so yeah so so and you know if, if his elbow issue is is fixed he could properly end up really high on that list of mm. of all-time test hundreds mm. well he's nine matches away from being number two on the list yeah well yeah <laughs> Uh, well, across the Tasman, Australia beat um, South Africa by an innings and 284 runs. South Africa were bowled out for 76 and then had Australia 12 for three, but the Aussies still managed to score 574. Alyssa Healy hit 99. Uh, Annabelle Sutherland hit 210, the fourth highest individual score in women's tests. Um, Healy getting out for 99, that is the same high score as her husband, Mitchell Stark. Um, they're the two of the 12 people to have a higher <laughs> score of 99 in, in test cricket. Um, ben, we were watching some of that test match and um, Australia were doing something really interesting with their slip cordon. I don't think I've ever seen this in a test match before. So Garth and Brown were bowling um, really good classical away swing bowling and the slip cordon, they were all two spots apart from each other, um, which I sort of, don't really don't really understand why that doesn't happen more because they're basically backing them to to cover that to cover that ground. So they effectively had three players covering five slips worth of of um of space. Yeah, and and there for the slice drive as much as for the kind of the genuine mm. edge off a defensive shot. Yeah, um, Annabelle Sutherland looks absolutely terrifying. Mm. And ju- just just at the point when you might see sort of like a chink of of light in the Australian armor. So like yeah, in you the had other a stat. Formats. You had a stat. Yeah. So so I think it's so they've. <laughs> In T20i cricket, they've lost five in their last 11, having gone, I think, 24 unbeaten in a row leading into that. And in ODI cricket, they've lost three games in the last year, having lost one in the five years preceding that. So they are still the best team in the world, but maybe that gap has closed slightly. And, you know, they they lost that test match for India as well, didn't they? But then Annabelle Sutherland's early days, but if they're looking for a, an Elise Perry replacement, strong signs that she could be that, I guess. Mm. Um, the PSL started uh, this week or the end of last week with a, with a bit less fanfare than usual. Um, there's a very good piece on Quick Info by Danielle Rasool sort of outlining that the PSL has very quickly gone from number two T20 competition in the world to maybe number three in February. Um, and why? The ILT20 and SA20 didn't exist until last year. Both of them can offer a lot more money. Even the Bangladesh Premier League um, offers a lot of money for really short stints as well. So just right. securing players is really difficult. Um, it's always had the problem of being quite close to the IPL. So um, it's quite a good point in the calendar for players to to, to opt out of. Yeah, um, and and also there is just quite a lot of international cricket as well. It's just a very very hard time. It's a very compact part of the international schedule and the franchise schedule. So it is just just very hard for that competition to maintain that, not supremacy, but essentially be number two. 
Um, but I guess what it has in its favour is it always has fun players that emerge from nowhere who mm. are instantly great to watch. You were, you were K- watching... Kawaja Nafez, the latest one, comes in with absolutely no record. And inside his first uh, his first eight balls, he sort of played a, a pickup shot and then an uppercut off Harris Ralph the six. They had, the uppercut he is so far off the ground and then ends up winning the game with 60 not out off off 31, I think. Mm. So he's, I think, yeah, 22 years old. No one really knows where he's come from. I think there's <laughs> stories that people saw some videos of him batting on Facebook and that got him uh, a gig in the BPL. And now they realise he's, you know, he's, there's a domestic player in, in the PSL. But yeah, I mean, who knows whether he'll be the next Babarazam or be fun for a few weeks, but they just always seem to to bring this. And also every fast bowler is just bowling Yorkers, basically. And that it, is just yeah, fun to is, watch. It is really fun to watch. And also they always just spawn out new uh, 90 mile quicks who are 17 or 18 every yep. year. Yep. Uh, so this this time they've got a guy called Mohammed Zishan who's 17. He uh, did well in the under 19 World Cup. He's like six foot five or something. Six like that. seven. Six seven. Yeah. Uh, rapid. Um, you've also got the three Shah brothers all yeah. on the same team. Uh, and Hunain, I think, is he's he's not playing at the moment, but you've got Obeid Shah who was in the under 19 World Cup. But he's he's that. quick. He's yeah, not he's, he's good, not yeah. he's not yeah. Nassim level, but he's he's very exciting. Mm. Vince, watch where's he at? I knew you were going to ask that. He's currently 17 off 17 Come for, on. The, for the Kings against Azalmi. Yes, mate. Um, he's batting with Shoaib Malik. Um, <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Forever more. And, and, and Pollard's in next. Oh, um, beautiful. It never ends. Um, Phil. Yeah. There is a new magazine out. Oh, yeah, right. And I think this is my, this is up there with my favourite ever cover, I think. Come on then, let's get it up. Let's get it up for our YouTubies. There you go, look at that. Why do you like it so? Um, I mean, it's an iconic image, and I think it is a uh, the the correct but not necessarily obvious call to in the midst of a high profile series like England India to go with Shamar on the coverage on, on the cover because that that is the moment of the year so far. I think so. I think so. So it's a West Indies special. Uh, Dan Gallen, as you say. Uh, did a really excellent thing um, trying to get a sense of the the overall landscape in light of the Shamar Joseph moment at the Gabba, one of the great moments in recent years. Uh, and he spoke to various people involved in West Indies cricket at the sharp end and those observing it as well, from Ian Bishop to Johnny Grave to Craig Brathwaite even, um, and pulled together the intro to this, this special section. Um, we also spoke to Santoki, who's one of the co-hosts of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, about uh, the love affair that you have to indulge if you're if you're going to stick at it, Vanessa Batch as well, who's booked. But we've mentioned a few times now on this yeah, show. Yeah, she, she's on she's on the podcast recently. Right. Okay, yeah. so she's she's written a couple of pieces actually for this issue, um, comparing actually the sixty one Tide Test in mm. uh, Brisbane to the twenty twenty four Heist, if you like. Um, so that's lovely. And various other bits and bobs as well, really. Um, hard to know where to start. Well, I before we'll, we'll give you a bit of but time to, to think uh, because we'll, we'll play a section of okay. Dan's right, chat with the Cricket West Indies chief, Johnny Grave. I found it really interesting. Yeah, you can, the, the full interview is in the magazine, but I, I found it really interesting hearing him outline uh, what we and others have talked about a lot, but from his perspective and sort of. Um, really pinning the blame on on the 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 pay structure that of international cricket. You know, as we mentioned earlier, he he says that the the big boards like England and India are actually pretty good at at touring, and it sort of outlines the sort of um, the sort of costs that you might not think about. About you know, he he outlines how it is for West Indies, it is much more expensive for them to get around the world compared to everyone else because of where West Indies is. Yeah, and and the other point, and again, it may he may be coming onto it right now, but the other point that really jumped out for me is that you have a centralised TV revenue fund, not fund, but you have a broadcast deal, uh, which is generally centralised. So obviously the ECB has its deal with Sky and the BBC. But in the West Indies, in the Caribbean, there's 15 different regions all with their own requirements, all with their own boards, all with their own uh, profits and losses agendas. And so finding a sort of centralized broadcast deal, which ties in all of those facets is very, very difficult, very challenging. Um, And he he puts it far more eloquently than me. I mean, he lives this stuff. But that again, it seems like the West Indies, because of the geographical nature or makeup, are penalized more than other countries. Um, disproportionately so. 
And certainly the point about sharing the revenues of tours um, is a very, very key one. Um, he's really good, is Johnny Grave. Weirdly, I've known him for a long, long time because mm. he worked at Surrey and then he worked at the PCA and then he was a left field appointment, the CEO of the West Indies. But he, he's, he's smart and he's pragmatic and he mm. gets it uh, and he's be, being listened to more and more. Um, so it's well worth listening to this. Uh, mm. Definitely worth picking up the magazine, yes. Absolutely. Uh, so here is some of uh, Dan Gallen's chat with Johnny Grave. And as Phil said, you can read the whole interview with Grave in the magazine. Do you get a sense that there's been anything other than joy and hope that West Indies cricket kind of returns? Do you, do you think that the organisation is spoken of in patronising terms at times? No, I, th- I think generally the teams um, are loved by the world. I think we're the second, everyone's second favourite team. And and I, I don't see that changing in the short or, or, or medium term or even long term. And I think what we saw uh, in Australia was that you know, falling back in love, maybe, um, with the West Indies, you know, having on the back of having, you know, rare tours there, let's be honest. And, and when we have toured there, um, not unlike anyone else, um, struggling. Um and I think that's probably what Bish and others have noticed that, you know, New Zealand can go there as almost world test championship winners and get beaten up by the Australian side and bowled out cheaply and lose, you know, within two or three days. And England obviously have done that in the past in Ashes series and lose 5-1. But that's mm. all very well and good. But when the West Indies come, the, the narrative tends to be pathetic. Why are they even playing, why are they playing, even playing test cricket? You know, yeah. if Australia and England have five or six debutants, they're the exciting, you know, new rising stars of their teams and the future. And when we go there, well, why are we sending such inexperienced you know, youngsters, they, they shouldn't even be playing international cricket. And I think it's those different situations, particularly people like Ian Bishop who are in the media, who hear it um, not just on the commentary or in print, but hear it in the corridors. And I think everyone's a bit sick of, you know, the phrase, world cricket needs a strong West Indies, <laughs> when we definitely feel that world cricket is doing everything they can in almost every level to make sure that West Indies cricket are never strong again and I think that's the, the born of the frustration of that as Bish says a sort of in his own words a sort of patronising tone it's well if you really want a strong West Indies cricket it wouldn't actually be that hard to to do a bit more and look ICC are giving us more money in headlines but our percentage of revenue is going from 7% down to 5% um, which we struggle to understand how that's going to help us and help grow the game. Uh, India couldn't really tour us anymore uh, nor could England they've been fantastic within the current structure but obviously you know even when they're doing all that they can do and it's still you know uh, odds stacked against us i think that's when we start to say well look the model's wrong you know mm. bcci can't do any more um, they played us in 22 they came back in 23 england have come twice in two years that's when we make our money but it's still very very difficult and challenging then surely we've got to address the model and the philosophy where if we all just are self-interested and, and looking after ourselves then are we really acting as a community? Are we really putting the best product uh, on the field? Because we firmly believe that in order for a cricket uh, match to be compelling, we need two good sides. And it takes two teams to create a cricket contest. And the more there is jeopardy, the more there is the high quality cricket, then the better our sport is and the better our sport is and you know, the better the product is, the more people are going to wa- want to watch and and pay money to attend so um we see it in that ecosystem which is very north american you know i've used the phrase before in interviews you only as strong as your weakest team is the sort of philosophy in american sport is the most successful commercial commercially uh and certainly the most developed commercially and we we just think we need a bit of that and it will still be difficult in the west indies and we would still be significantly smaller and we'd still have a higher cost base than everyone else because of the nature of the 15 different countries and and how we can move people around but it it it, it could uh, we think be so much better and 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 that's i guess what we're we're trying to lobby for and have done since we wrote a paper in 2018 do you feel that south africa west indies pakistan Lanka, all the smaller boards new zealand would they be able to put pressure and kind of go to the bigger boards and say guys without you we can't change things you it, it, the change needs to come from those who have their hands on the lever of power yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think having everyone having a slightly more global perspective helps. I think the fact that I worked for you know 17 years in English cricket and now yeah. 
seven years in West Indies, I've seen it and lived it. So you 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 understand firsthand how difficult it is, and all the lazy narratives of well, you know, West Indies crickets are own that it's their own problems and they're self created. We we can't in our probably in a lifetime change the economic prosperity of our region as a cricket organisation. We cannot change the ability to travel into Ireland um, cost yeah. effectively. You know, we can't necessarily get hotel rates to, to come down to not be um, high season tourist rates. So that there are there are things that people say, well, West Indies need to change and it's all their own doing. West Indies need to go and get better deals. You know, it's it's not as simple as that. And um, I think that's the point we're trying to make. And, and then some just really obvious ones. You know, West Indies will spend more on international flights and domestic flights than any other board just to participate in these international events, bilateral cricket. So the World Test Championship, you know, if if people think about it for Sri Lanka, for example, for many of their tours, they're just hopping to Bangladesh or to Pakistan or to India, or at best, they're one flight, long haul flight away. In the main, most of our matches are three long haul flights away. So we're, we're talking and, and many of those routes are, are very expensive, popular tourist routes of which there's low competition um so therefore prices tend to be significantly higher so just in terms of our ability to participate on an even playing field in those tournaments our cost base is higher than everyone else from flights and hotels when you then compound that with very small populations um in the caribbean there isn't and, and different sovereign nations there isn't a tv network in the region that would produce our cricket let alone produce our cricket and pay a rights fee so again, sort of, we 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 probably spend four or five million US dollars a year just on producing the cricket, the DRS, all the coverage that we do, and we invest heavily in that. But we can't monetize that in our region, so we have to rely on overseas rights. Where, again, if 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 fans think of what English cricket would look like if if they were turning Sky's check into a you know a five million pound a year cost line, yeah. it looks very very different, and that's effectively you know what we have here and. Uh, I don't think people understand because we quite often get comments, well, why don't you change it? But it, yeah. it's not as simple as that. We can't just create a, a TV network overnight that's going to um, going to be pan-camera Caribbean and 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 be able to generate the subscriptions and the, and the ad revenue to to afford to pay us a rights fee and to pay our production costs. Am I am I just a, a fist in the air socialist, or or is it actually as simple as changing the revenue system, sharing sharing income? with the touring side to make it to, to incentivize them to tour and having that and a collective kitty as it were where i don't know teams were paying a percent of their income like a tax as it were to keep test cricket you know the basics flights hotels what training facilities etc i mean like is, is it that simple if we had a more egalitarian economic model this thing could survive and without it it, it might not i mean is it that simple or am i being naive our view is that not only can test cricket survive, we actually think with, with some minor changes, it can actually thrive. And, and we've seen it thrive in recent times in certain markets. And, and we definitely think that if everyone who plays test cricket collaborates and works together more, it, it really can uh, improve as a product. We, in, in our in our lobbying and papers we've written, have talked about having you know, a minimum of three-match series. We talked about... Um, mm. Uh, 20% of the revenue generated from test cricket going uh, either into a fund or, or or to the the opposition side to help cover uh, their costs. We talked about um, centrally paying for for airfares just um, so that you know that that could be booked more centrally, probably more efficiently uh, on bigger economies of scale discounts and and you know baggage deals and everything else. Which again sounding insignificant, but you can. Now, for the amount of kit that you've got to take to Australia on three transatlantic or three long haul flights, you can talking about you know, up, upwards of fifty thousand dollars just on excess baggage. So it's not insignificant when you've got multiple teams now across. Our, we've got two academy teams, we've got two under nineteen teams, we've got um, women's ODI, women's T twenty, and obviously three men's uh, plus eighteen. There's so much cricket being played now, which is great, mm. uh, but at the same time, obviously the the operational costs of of that. And particularly with test cricket, you know, in order to have any sort of chance of producing a good test team, you've got to underpin it with a pretty robust first class um, yeah. structure. And uh, first class cricket here, as you can imagine, flying teams across different islands, again, is 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 very, very expensive. So I think you know, all of us, when people 
say, you know, the West Indies even want to play test cricket? You know, it, it's a difficult question for us because we are doing so much for Red Bull cricket at such expense where mm. it almost makes no sense to do it, but we're doing it because our traditional fans want to play test cricket. We've seen what test cricket means um, to the Caribbean and people around the world when on the back of... Um, what happened at the Gabba. So um, we know we're doing the right thing. It's just, and and we're not waiting for the world to change. We we continue to lobby because it's not just lobbying about West Indies cricket, as you alluded to. We are trying to speak on behalf of South Africa, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, the other test playing nations um, to say that, you know, the last few years, the, the, the models, you know, the gaps got bigger, the divides getting bigger and the way the game is currently structured um, the poor will get poorer and the rich will get richer. So this problem is only going to get worse in our in our view. Uh, and therefore, we we like the idea of a test fund that could, you know, at least take any commercial consideration out of running first class cricket, the operational costs of hosting three test matches versus two test matches. All those things could easily be done with a test fund. And there is enough money in the game for it. So I'm not saying that the revenue model for ICC should change, but if the revenue model stayed the same, but suddenly you took a significant chunk out of that revenue share model because it underpinned an equal share of a test fund, mm. uh, then we would have a more even uh, system and a more level playing field to play. And I certainly think, you know, I can understand why some boards have, have had to cancel 18 tours and reduce that. I, I can see why first-class cricket would need to be reduced, but but ultimately that's just you know, in the long term or medium term, that's just weakening your test side. And what we're trying to do and be very disciplined about is invest more in four-day cricket. We've introduced Red Bull cricket at under-17 level as well as under-19. Uh, we're trying to play more Red Bull cricket for our academy uh, that's new and, and for our A-team because you know, a big part of, I think, are all the reasons why we were successful in Australia outside of what's been spoken about. And there's been lots of positive stories coming out of it, which are are obviously ring true but the A-team series we played against South Africa um, that Andre Coley the head coach led that Jimmy Adams and Sean Tate were on as support staff and, and the nucleus of those players were on that including Shamar Joseph himself and Josh Jim Silva and a few others that that was a really important part of I think you know being able to to have that performance at the Gabba including going down to Australia on the 28th of December you know, so much uh, ahead of time to prepare because so often uh, you're going into the series, you know, with with seven days of prep at uh, best and a four-day game. And for some of our players who don't have the experience and don't play the volume of test cricket that the the bigger three teams do, your preparation uh, and acclimatisation is, is is really important if you want to have a hope of, of, of trying to um, uh, win yeah. matches. What is preventing this very obvious change from happening? Well, I think it, it is leadership. Um, I think, uh, and I, I think you sort of alluded to it before when you said, "Can the uh, the so-called smaller boards get together?" I think we all need to get together. It can't be the big three uh, versus the rest, and and that's certainly not the culture. And I think everyone is becoming increasingly aware that it takes two teams to play in a cricket match, and and the closer those two teams are in terms of competition, the better the product is. The more jeopardy there is, as I said earlier, the more chance there is of of either side's winning or uncertainty on who can win. And that creates the excitement and, and the compelling product. I also think the broadcasters have a big part to play in it. Um, it's never really spoken about, but um, if the domestic broadcasters in the big markets only want to give all of their budgets for cricket for 12 months to the home boards or outside of that, only write big checks to the big three and, you know, basically leave it to the last minute to offer crumbs to the, to the smaller boards, um, then they're not really investing in their own home markets. They're investing hundreds of millions into the home series that cannot only feature um, the other two teams um, in terms of the big three. Uh, and they rely on us to when they come. You know, they want us to be competitive. They want us to have a compelling product because they've invested so much in the home market. If they don't see the need to invest through uh, bilateral cricket rights, in those opposition boards, if they see it just in pure short-term commercial eyes of what's the least that I can pay and can I only cherry-pick for England broadcasters, you know, when, when England are touring the Caribbean and I'm not interested in West Indies cricket after that, if, if they don't see that as an investment into the cricket system um, in those home markets, then, you know, that's very, very difficult. Again, we're very lucky that um, coming out of what 
most of the boards you mentioned uh, was a long-term seven or eight year agreement with Sony 10 Sports. We came out of that and have got you know, very good broadcast relationships in most of the major markets and, and get good support from TNT and Supersport and, and Fancode in India and others. But, um, you know, we don't currently have an Australian TV deal so and haven't done for a while. So, it, again, you know, at, at some point we, we need those bigger markets, commercial markets, to, to at least support us in some long-term meaningful way if they want to when we return to their home market at some point in the future uh, to give them a really good product. Do you want to have a little think about what else is in the magazine? Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Briefly, uh, randomly, brilliant new feature with Rob Smith uh, or Smythe. We need to find out actually how to say his name. The, the Guardian legend that is Rob Smith. I'm going with Smith. Uh, who came to us a couple of months ago and said, right, I've got this idea. He's been mining the CrickViz data archive, which goes way back past 2006. Okay. And it actually goes back into the 60s, 70s. And it's based on scorebooks from prominent scorers doing test matches going all the way back and so now you can actually dig deep into the into the data you can actually answer with a degree of authority beyond the eye test who played the west indies quicks the best uh and you can really dig dig down into it so he proposed this series and we've got it up and running and essentially Mm -hmm. the question is who played the west indies quicks the best Joe Harmon then went and interviewed Michael Holding, who obviously said, I don't give a toss about data. Uh, but that suited it fine as a counterpoint. Um, but Rob interviewed various people who were on the sharp end, failed miserably, and mm. and played brilliantly against that sort of four horsemen of the apocalypse era, right? Really, the, really the, the possibilities stuff. of this series are almost infinite. And and we're encouraging people to get in touch with their with their ideas. Is that right? Yeah. Well, well one one headline I suggested was Bradman colon shit question mark, <laughs> which I don't think will get past past the editor, whoever he is these days. Um, but yeah, you can dig really deep, and yeah. definitely if you've got any sort of statistical um, queries I guess or observations that you you want back up with cold hard if, numbers. If you've got a hunch from the, the 80s or 90s, then, then throw we, us a line. We, can, we can confirm it now. Throw us a line and Rob, um, will, Rob will do the business. It suits his character, to say the least. Um, he's gone well beyond the reasonable just to pull these <laughs> things together. Anyway, that's a brilliant new feature. The, perhaps the other big thing in this particular issue is the gear test. So yes. in partnership with Sirius Cricket, um, excellent gear retailers down in, in Hampshire, They've got their own HQ down there. They brought uh, two vans worth of gear and a photographer up to the Oval. And we spent the day photographing it and road testing it. You even got your kit out. Yeah, as one, well. one, one hell of an operation. Yeah, I, I wasn't. Was. I wasn't one of the bat testers, but it was a... Uh, it was quite fun to, to watch the testers go. It was... Uh, yeah. Who do we have? We had uh, Dan Senior, um, uh, Davina Perrin, who plays for the, 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 the Central Sports. I will come to her in a moment. Yeah, G- Adam, Adam, Wallace, Adam, Collins. Adam Collins and John Hotton. Yeah, so all of them, apart from Davina, affiliated to Wisden, all of them good cricketers in their own right. Um, but Davina, who plays for the ACE programme and is in the England Academy setup, she's going to go far. Mm. And then a bit further on after that, I think she's 17, just turned. Um, it was a clinic to watch her play. Anyway, we put that together over the course of the day and then we crunched some more numbers and then we graded and, and assessed and analysed the, the best kit on the market. Mm. And without kind of awarding top, top rank as such, uh, we brought out certain, certain virtues in, in, in the gear. So mm. that, was, that was great fun to do. And if you're interested in, you know, sharpening up your kit for the, for the new season, if you're looking at the best new bats on the market, then you've got to go and buy that one. Mm. Um, there's a oh, little, there's plenty a little, of other things. There's a little uh, profile of the testers. And I loved with um, Davina's, one they were asked who's your favorite player and Davina 17 17 years old born uh in September 2006 she goes Saviv yeah um I've, I've watched him since I was a kid my dad would always bring him up on YouTube I love the footage when he gets hit on the head and stares down the bowler that's how I want to play uh Davina Perrin remember the name um Cat- catcher on the women's premier league at the all-conquering women's premier league she interviews everybody basically characteristically brilliant um, you, get, you get to win a bat as well, possibly. Don't oh, you? sorry, I should have mentioned that. Yeah, you can win the one of the more celebrated bats in the collection. Uh, you can win the Salix, the Salix AJK Marquee. 
you can win the Salix bat. Now, anyone who knows anything about cricket bats knows that Salix are right up the top of the tree. Uh, and that's a very, very special piece of wood. And you can win it if you buy the magazine and mm. enter a silly question, uh, answer to a silly question. Plenty of other stuff. John Stern goes down to Gloucester to speak to, to the great and the good down there, um, a club that's struggling financially but has great ambitions for the future. Uh, I did a thing on Stokes and his 100th test. David Woodhouse carries on his amazing series about the story of cricket in 50 cricket books, um, mentioning Peter Sellers and, and various others. We do, we've done a feature on Rams Bottom CC, which is entering an all-women's team into the men's league of, in the Lancashire League. First time that's ever happened before. Um, so again, fascinating story, really. Ramps on grooving up for the new season. A bit of coaching in there for you as well. But look, the thing is, the big thing, yeah, it's the big thing. Has to be the wall chart, folks. Here we go. Now, now, hold your horse. A double-sided wall chart. There you go. Now, April, May, June, one side, July, August, September, the other. Every single fixture in the English domestic season, men and women, international stuff as well in there. It's absolutely essential, right? And this is free with the magazine. Now, perhaps a more, if you like, more sort of hyper-capitalistic organization may have actually upped their cover price a wee bit. Not us, folks. No, we've kept it exactly the same. Uh, but a free wall chart and the chance to win that bat if you buy the new magazine. And Available it- as from today, I think. Go on. It, it's an incredibly thorough wall chart. Although so Ben noticed a, 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 missing a, comma. a missing comma at some point. But uh, so, for through. example, um, Friday the seventh of June is a busy day. So uh, <laughs> you've got you've got Blaze versus Storm at Grace Road, Thunder versus the Vipers at Old Trafford. At the same day, you've also got Canada Island New- at New York, Bangladesh versus Sri Lanka in Dallas. And six or seven blast fixtures. There you, you know? go. I thought you were going to name them all. <laughs> no, Thankfully, no. <laughs> I think yeah. the, the only right thing to do is you've got to get two issues so that you can have the double-sided wall chart. You can have it all up at, at one time. So, yes, you know. that's true, actually. Yeah, good shout. And if you did want to buy <laughs> a second issue <laughs> alongside the magazine, then just go to the Night Watchman website, which is the nightwatchman.net. And it'll be pretty clear on that homepage where you can buy the wall chart. If you're a kind of a, if you're a mad person and you don't want the magazine, but you do want the wall chart, I think it's going to cost you two fifty uh, plus PP. Um, Again, that's 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 a steal. This is, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's generous to say it's a steal. But there you go. You can do that. You can do. That. You can buy as many as you like. By the way, you can buy a million mm. if you want to. <laughs> and, anyway, and- the nightwatchman.net. Go and buy your your wall charts if you're not fussed about the magazine. But if you're not fussed about the magazine. Why are you listening to this show? Mm. And worth reiterating, that is that is one of the best covers we've had in a while. Um, there that, you go. That is everything for today's show. Uh, cheers, Phil. Cheers, Ben. Thanks for listening, listeners. We'll be back in two days' time for the first daily of the Ranchi Test. Podcast Network.